All right, we're in a series on the book of Daniel. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Daniel. If you have actually have a Bible with you, you open up kind of halfway in the middle, and then you want to turn right, you're going to, go to, you're going to see P-Psalms, all right? And then you're going to keep on going right, and you're going to see Daniel. You're going to go Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. There it is, right there. Now, one of the things we looked at last week, and this is our big idea, is that when we compromise, we compromise our influence. And if you weren't here last week, how many of y'all were here last week? Let me see your hands. Great. All right, some of you guys weren't, so let me kind of give us the context of this story. There's a bad guy by the name of King Nebuchadnezzar who actually lives in our modern-day Iraq, Babylon, and he comes in 605 B.C., and he carries all of the 13, 14, 15-year-old, the people who are the best and the brightest, he takes them away from their families, and he kidnaps them and takes them to Babylon. 20 years later, he comes, and he wipes Jerusalem and Israel off the map. King Nebuchadnezzar is the bad guy. So when you hear his name, you got to boo. All right, Nebuchadnezzar? All right, very good. That's fantastic. All right, now, here's what he takes these 13, 14, 15-year-olds, and one of his names, Daniel, and he's got three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He takes them, and they make a decision we looked at last week. We're not going to compromise. We may be in Babylon, but we're not of Babylon. We are not going to compromise. And we talked about last week that all of us have these tendencies that we want to compromise, we want to cut edges, we want to you know, do the shortcuts because we think that's what everybody else is doing. And that same thing that we looked at last week is going to be with us in Daniel chapter 3. Now, some of you, when I say Daniel chapter 3, you know exactly what I'm going to be teaching on. And I'm going to say, stop cheating. Don't look ahead. We're going to have a good time. Look at this. But we all know the end of this story. It's one of the most popular Bible stories in the Bible. All right? In fact, if you grew up at church, you remember the whole felt things, you know, the felt, you know what I'm saying? Just saying. Um, you're going to know this story. But let's put ourselves in these three guys' shoes, and let's pretend that we don't know how the story is going to end. All right, because all of us, the, really this story that we're going to be looking at is about friendships. It's about friendships. How many of y'all got friends? All right, that's good. Glad to hear it. All right, fantastic. Um, here's the thing about us. You either have, uh, we have two types of friends. We either have friends that, um, that, that people, we're the one that everybody kind of depends on. You're the linchpin, all right? When something goes wrong, they call you at 2 in the morning right? Um, they, you're kind of the leader of the band. Um, you're kind of the, you're, it's, you're kind of the one everybody kind of like rests on and relies on. You're the trustworthy one and everybody's kind of around you and they're trusting in you. They're relying on you. We all have some friends that are strong. And for some of you, you're that strong friend. But let me tell you, we also have some other friends that we're not the strong one. We have some friends that you can, you're thinking of, you've got pictures in your mind right now that I, if I know if I have a problem, I could call that person. I know if I have a problem spiritually or this or that, I could contact that person and I can, I, and I, you, you count on them and that's great. But there are sometimes things happen in life when friends are moved out of the way and we can't count on them anymore. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, st- times where you, maybe you're struggling maritally, maybe you're struggling financially, maybe you're struggling with a big decision, and you need to get some counsel, but you can't talk to that friend that you know is kind of the one you rely on. And we're going to be asking and looking, ask, asking and answering the question, why are sometimes friends kind of come in out of our lives and out of our lives? Why is that? Because today we're going to be looking at three guys who struggle with the very same things that you and I struggle with. When we have a tendency to start relying on somebody, why aren't they there for us? 
All right. Now, the homework I gave you last week was that you need to kind of look at some pre-decisions. Y'all remember that one? How many of y'all did that? All, all two of y'all. Dear Jesus. All right. And the second thing is I asked you guys to read Daniel chapter 2. How many of y'all did that? Thank you, two of you. All right. Let me give you, um, uh, thanks for listening to me. It's so encouraging. Um, we're gonna, let me give you kind of a, a broad like picture of what Daniel chapter 2 is. In Daniel chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar, Thank you. King Neb, he has a dream. And in this dream, he dreams of a statue. And this statue has a golden head, silver arms, has a bronze belly, and iron legs. And in his dream, this big, huge rock comes rolling from the side and hits the statue, and the statue shatters. And he wakes up, and he gasps, and he knows that that dream has something to do about him. So he calls all of his wise men, all of the magi, um, the astrologers, all these people who can, should be able to interpret dreams, and he says this. He says, I want you to tell me what I dreamed, and I want you to interpret it. And they're all scratching their heads going, uh, you've never asked us anything like this. You usually tell us your dreams, and then we tell you what they are. He says, no, no, no. I, I don't think y'all know what this means, and if you do know what it means, you should be able to tell me what I've dreamed. And if you don't, I'm going to kill you. So I imagine, how would you love working with somebody like that, right? I mean, dear Lord. So uh, nobody, they're all saying, you know, nobody can do this. So they start killing wise men. And Daniel's a wise man. He's not heard anything about the verdict or anything. Somebody knocks on his door. Uh, yes, uh, hang on just a sec. Daniel opens the door. What can I do you for? Um, well, um, we got to kill you. Oh, come out. What happened? Um, well, King Nebuchadnezzar. Thank you. King Neb, he's actually said that, uh, you know, all this stuff. And he said, wait a minute, wait a minute. This dream, this interpretation, let me pray to God and let me see what's going on. So Daniel does it. Daniel and his three friends, they pray to God. And God, not Daniel, but God gives Daniel the answer of what he dreamed and what it means. So it goes to King Neb, and King Neb says, okay, tell it to me. And this this is the interpretation of the dream, that that you, O King Nebuchadnezzar, you're the head of gold. That you're special and you've got it all going on. Everything's great. Everything's fantastic. And, but there will be a time where there will be a kingdom coming after you that's inferior to yours. And there are the, Medos and the, the, the Medes and the Persians. They're going to come and they're going to conquer you. And then after that, somebody's going to conquer the Medes and Persians, Alexander the Great and the Greeks. And then after that, the, the, the legs of iron is Rome. And then through all of that, this big rock that's going to come and obliterate it all, that's God, that's Jesus, that's the Messiah. And all of those other kingdoms are going to vanish, but God's kingdom will still stand. That it, this is what Daniel's saying. What you are doing, king, you may think it's great, it's awesome, but it's temporary. It's temporary. That God's kingdom is the only one to stand. And you think about this. Rome isn't alive today. Babylon isn't alive today, but God's church, his kingdom, is alive. Think about that. That is so amazing. And that's what Daniel chapter 2, he promotes Daniel and his three friends, and everything's good until Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. Let's look at it. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue. This is going to get old quick, isn't it? He's going to made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura, in the province of Babylon, a 90-foot statue. 
What in the world possessed this guy to build a 90-foot golden statue? I think two things. Number one, during this time, about this time, an assassination attempt is made on King Nebuchadnezzar. So, thank you. And he, one of the... (laughs) Um, and one of the things that he's going to do is he's going to build this statue, and he says, okay, which one of you guys is loyal to me? If you're loyal, I want you to bow. So there's a paranoid leader coming, kind of in this thing. But I think there's also another reason why he built this 90-foot golden statue. He's, he, he remembers the dream, the, the golden head, and he's thinking this. How come I can't, I'm just a head of gold. How come I can't, the whole thing can't be about me? How come I can't be the entire golden statue? I mean, why is everything that I do, why is it so temporary? I want to be the kingdom that lasts forever. Ding, I got an idea. Instead of just being the head of gold, I'll make a statue of gold. And that was his idea about that, all right? And he's always looking by, okay, is there going to be a silver, bronze, iron kingdom? Look at this, verse 2. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the providential officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. Most conservative estimates say that there's about 200 to 300,000 people there on that day. These are all the movers and the shakers. King Neb gets them all together and says, what are you going to do? Look at this. So all of these officials came up and stood before the statue of King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Thank you. Then a herald shouted out, People of all races, nations, and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground and worship King Nebuchadnezzar's golden statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. Any questions? Good. I mean, think about this. You, if you don't bow and worship, you will die. Verse 7. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race, nation, or language, that's very important here in a minute, bowed to the ground and worshipped the gold statue that King Neb had set up. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. I mean, they were kissing up. Long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither. By the way, what is a zither? I don't know what it is, but it's fun to say. Zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But look at this. But there are some Jews, specifically Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, majesty. They refuse to serve your gods, little g, and do not worship the gold statue you set up. Now let's talk about this. Picture a football stadium. How many of y'all have ever been to like a large football stadium? A large stadium. All right, cool. Fantastic. Largest one I've been to seats about 90,000. So even that is, is pale in comparison to two to 300,000 who are there. Picture uh, uh, this uh, a football stadium filled with people, and in the middle, there's this golden statue. And when the sun hits, it's almost blinding. The band starts playing, and everyone, well, almost everyone, 
bows. Now, quick question. Does King Nebuchadnezzar know that there are three people who don't bow? The answer is no. I mean, you think about this. He doesn't have a clue until they're snitched on. Right? He doesn't have a clue. If everyone sits down in a football stadium, you don't know it immediately, right? You, uh, section 124, row G, seat 19, 20, and 21. If everybody else sits down, you're still standing up. I mean, nobody knows it, right? Even the people who are standing up probably don't even know it. I mean, if you're sitting in a football stadium and you're kind of, oh, it's time for me to sit, right? It's that, it's that type of thing. That type of thing. In this sea of people, you possibly, you can't possibly know that there are people who are still standing unless you're being snitched on, unless you're sitting in that section. And that tells me something, that these guys were being watched. I think these wise men who were very jealous of them, because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had went so far so quickly and in such a shorter period of time, these guys were jealous because these were wise men who snitched on wise men. And they said, you know what, I think we know what's going to happen. Let's go over there to section 124, uh, section G, uh, seats 1920. Let's sit right behind these guys and let's see what they do. Let me tell you what that tells me. And that same thing happens when we're a Christian. People will watch us. You are being watched now. If you come to this church, people will be watching what you do. They will be listening to what you say. They will be looking at what you're looking at and what you're listening to because they want a scandal. They want to see when somebody falls. Everybody likes it. Everybody likes it. And that's exactly what happens here. If you're a Christian here, you are being watched. Let me tell you of a time when I was being watched and I didn't know it. I've shared this story once before. But um, I love going to Walmart. I know I'm a sick individual. Um, I love going to Walmart. And I remember uh, I was out at exit four and went to the Walmart out there. And as I was coming out of Walmart, I had my shopping cart. I emptied all the stuff into my truck. And I took the shopping cart and I took it back to the little island that you take your shopping carts back into. You know what I'm saying? And uh, as I was walking back to the truck, this lady comes to me and says, Chris, I was watching you. I'm like, all right, stalker. Um, she says, I, I, and she introduced me, and she introduced herself, and she says, I go to one church, and I was watching you to see if you were going to put that shopping cart back up. Wow, you know, I've got to be honest with you. When she told me that, it, 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 it put a lump in my throat. Because I've got to be honest with you, I've not, put, I've not placed the shopping carts back all the time. And let me tell you, there are some times when I drive that I don't act like a Christian. There are other times when you drive, you give the California wave. You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying, you know what I'm saying? You see, you need to know this. All of us are being watched. All of us are being watched. Um, the moment you start taking a stand for God, you're going to be watched. And they're going to listen to what type of language you use. They're going to look at what type of movies you watch. They're going to see what type of songs that you listen to. You are being watched. These people were watching Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Why? Because in chapters 1 and 2, these guys took stands. They were promoted so quickly. And I want you to put yourself in these guys' shoes. Again, let's pretend like we don't know what's going to happen. The music starts playing, everybody starts bowing, and there's three guys. And they're like, uh, imagine the conversation. Meshach, what are you doing? Let's get up, man. Get up. We're not bowing. Come on. Shadrach, Slim Shady, 
Come on, shake. Listen, um, what are you doing? Are you standing or are you going? Standing, going, standing, going. Stand, what are you doing? Wait, okay, we're, sta- we're standing, we're standing. Okay, we're standing. You sure you want to stand? I think I want to bow. Let's stand. Let's, okay, we're standing, right? I mean, as I was thinking about this, put yourself in their shoes. I thought of a thousand ways I could compromise on this. I can do this. Okay, guys, let's do this. When they, everybody starts you know, bowing, let's bow, but let's pray to Jesus. Right? Um, or, you know what? Uh, when, they, when the music starts playing, oh, look, my shoe's untied. Let me go get that, Anna. Or I, when, the, when the band starts playing, there's a penny. I, I'll tithe on it. For some of y'all, that's what you normally give, right? So, uh, just joking. Anyway, it's a joke. All right? So you pick it, I'll, I'll, I'll put it in the offering plate, right? I'm just telling you, there are a thousand different ways you could have compromised on this. And if I was them, I would say, surely God doesn't want me to die. I mean, think about this. I mean, God allowed me to be promoted. I went through Babylon University. I have influence, I have power, I can do something good. He doesn't want me to just throw it away all right now, does he? There's a thousand different ways you could have compromised. But they didn't compromise. They didn't fit in. And all of us, let me tell you, in high school on, we play this game of not wanting to stand out. None of us wants to stand out, right? I mean, we all did some dumb things in high school to fit in, did we not? I wore parachute pants. Put that mental image in your mind and then get it out quickly. I, it wasn't that funny, just joking. All right, I remember wearing a members-only jacket about three years after they went out of style. But I was proud when I got it, you know what I'm saying? We all do some really dumb things to fit in. Some of you listen to Paris Hilton music. That's really dumb. I'm just telling you. It's painful. All right? But we all do dumb things to fit in. Because none of us want to be the oddball. None of us wants to stand out. You know what happens to the people who stand out? They get picked on. They become outsiders. And you think that just finishes that, you know, that we don't, do, we don't play those games when we're in high school anymore, but we do. Because we try to keep up with the Joneses and the Smiths and all of these other people. The end of the day, we don't want to stand out. But let me tell you, the call to be a Christian means not to fit in. It means to stand out. And I know that doesn't sound good. And some of you, you're not Christians and you're like, I don't know if I really like that part. I understand that. But you need to know God In his wisdom, he doesn't want us just to kind of blend in and just be bland. He wants our lights to shine. He wants us to perk everything up. And that means we can't do that with standing out. And some of you, how you've compromised on this is because you go to to church, yes, but you go to school or you go to work or you go to work in the army, and nobody knows that you're a Christian there. Because if they do, they would expect you to talk differently. They would expect you not to swap hard drives filled with stuff. They would expect you to be able to, to, to have a different outlook on life. But so secretly we're a Christian in here, but outwardly nobody knows it. Because if they do, we would have to start living it. Or some of us, you know what, okay, I'm going to... I'm going to eat this food, but I don't pray at work. Because everybody will know that I'm a Christian. Or if you do, it's... it's, it's, it's amen. Right? It's like you ought to be an auctioneer. Right? But God's... He's saying, no, I want you to stand out. I want you to do it differently. But listen to this. Everybody in this story, every language is doing it. All the other Jews are doing it. It's the way things are done. It's the standard operating procedures, bowing or doing whatever. But they didn't do it. There were three who were willing to be noticed, to stand up and say, 
We may be in Babylon, but we're not of Babylon. It takes guts to stand out. I got a question at this point. Where's Daniel? I mean, you think about this. This book is not called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's called what? Daniel. If I was Slim Shady, Meshach, and Abend, I would be going, where's our leader? Where is he at? Now, let me just tell you. I'm going to show you where he's at. The last two verses of Daniel chapter 2, this is what it says. Then the king appointed, after the dream thing, Daniel to a high position and gave him many valuable gifts. He made Daniel ruler over all of the province of Babylon as well as chief over all of the wise men. So now he's directing all of the wise guys, right? At Daniel's request, look at this. The king appointed who? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be in charge of all the affairs of the province of Babylon while Daniel remained where? In the king's court. So that's the reason Daniel's not here. Daniel's in the king's court. He's at his post. He is in serving in the king's palace. Nebuchadnezzar likes Daniel, so evidently Daniel doesn't have to be there. But the first two chapters, it's all been about Daniel, 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 Daniel. And then in chapter 3, there's not a mention of his name, and we got these three guys who are now thrust into the limelight. Our first point I want to look at this is this. You and I aren't the main character of the story. You and I aren't the main character of the story. This book may be named Daniel, but it's not about Daniel. It's not even about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's not about King Nebuchadnezzar. It is about God. The you and I are not the main character of our story. All of us are temporary. All of us can be replaced, including me. Including me. Let me tell you, I think God allowed Daniel not to be there so that these guys wouldn't trust in Daniel. I think God was setting these guys up to say, what are you going to do? Whose God are you going to choose? What are you going to do when your leader, when your friend, when your strong friend is not there to be able to give you counsel? What are you going to do? I tell you, I love surrounding myself with godly men and women in my life. I want to tell you about one. A guy was by the name of David Foster. About a year ago, David preached here at this church. He was an older guy, had no hair. Y'all remember David? How many of y'all were here? All right, none of y'all. Appreciate it. All right, thank you, ma'am. I see you. All right. Um, I love David Foster. David and I had been meeting for about two, two and a half years, the first Wednesday of every month. And uh, on April 1st of this past year, something happened um, with me and, 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 and just with some friends in my life that I really need some really wise counsel on. It was a watershed moment. And I called David up and said, you know, I'm needing some good counsel, some godly counsel from David Foster. And I called him up, his assistant answered the phone, and said that David had passed away last night. And I immediately started crying, because I really relied on David for a lot. Like I said, I met with this guy the first Wednesday of every month, and the time when I needed him the most, I wasn't able to be there to be able to get godly wisdom and counsel from him, because he had went to be home with God. You know, I, I scratched my head, and I was kind of wondering, why? You know, why did this happen now, the time when I needed him the most? And, you know, one of the things, I think it's kind of one of the things that I, that I think we're learning here. In fact, by the way, they still don't have a pastor at the church he started up in Brentwood. It's called The Gathering. They started in 2007, the same year that one church started. They meet in a movie theater. The month of October, I'm going to be preaching up there because they don't have a pastor yet. So y'all be praying for me. Um, to, just to be able to give some encouragement. But I tell you, the thing that I've learned in that situation with David's passing is I think the very same thing that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are learning today. 
And it's our big idea today, and it's simply this. God is setting you up to step up and to stand out. God is setting you up to step it up and to stand out, to be noticed. Daniel made the decision not to eat in chapter 1. Daniel interpreted the dream in chapter 2. But in chapter 3, God has given these guys an opportunity. God is setting these guys up saying, okay, Daniel's not around anymore. What are you going to do? Some of you have been waiting for your Daniel to come next to you and to pour into you so that you could stand for God. But maybe the reason why your Daniel's not there right now for you is God is saying, okay, no, now it's time for you to be the strong one. Now it's time for you to stand up. Now it's time for you. I am setting you up to stand up and to stand out. What are you going to do? Are you going to keep on looking for Daniel and find your faith in Daniel? Or are you going to stand up and find your faith in God? I love this. They were willing to be noticed. Let me tell you one of the two reasons I think they didn't bow down. The first one is this. They didn't bow because they made a pre-decision. They didn't bow because they made a pre-decision. We talked a lot about this last week. But you remember what a pre-decision is? It's a decision you make before a decision, right? That's what it is. A pre-decision is a decision you make. There are some decisions that you can't wait till the heat of the moment or when you're in them. You have to make the decision before you get there. You hear what I'm saying? Let me tell you, the reason why they didn't bow in chapter 3 is because they made a pre-decision back in chapter 1. We're not going to compromise. For some of you, and this was my homework last week, what are those pre-decisions, what are those areas that you need to draw, redraw boundaries in your life for? Because all of us, all of us, all of us, we have this tendency to compromise, but we have to make pre-decisions. Let me tell you the second reason I think they didn't bow. The reason why they didn't bow is that they, they stood together. They stood together. Let me tell you, they weren't, they weren't out there. They may have felt like they were all alone, but they weren't all alone. There was three of them. Let me tell you, that's huge because all of us, we need people in our lives who will come next to us and encourage us and to pour into us. And even though we may have people like Daniels who may come out of our life, we need people in our lives that we can hook hands with and say, will you stand with me? Let me tell you, this is the reason why we, this is one of our core values here at One Church, is that the reason why circles are better than rows. Let me talk about that. All of y'all are in a row right now, right? You don't know the person next to you unless you came with them, right? If you're over here and I see Dana, how you doing, Dana? Dana doesn't know these people over here because we are in rows, the reason why circles are better than rows is you can turn your chairs and you can start connecting with one another. How this happens here at One Church is in our community groups. Uh, ever since One Church has been a church, in fact, even before One Church wasn't even a church, I was in a community group. Why? Because I need people who will help me. I need help. Somebody ought to say amen. You need help, preacher. I do. Let me tell you. Let me bust your bubble. So do you. You do. Because all of us, we get tired, we get weary, and there's sometimes we all, in the back of our minds, we start doubting. And when I start doubting, yes, a preacher can even doubt. When I start doubting, I got people in my group who God is doing some amazing things with, and they, it just inflates my faith. The reason why they didn't bow is because they stood together. They stood together. Our next group link, our next 
uh, environment where you can get into circles is the second week of October, a month from today. So if you're not involved in, how many of y'all are involved in a community group? Let me see your hands. Good, that's fantastic. Those who aren't, I really would challenge you, get into one. Find some people that can befriend you and encourage you because all of us need encouragement. Let's keep on reading. Verse 13 of Daniel chapter 3. They've just been snitched on. Look what happens to Nebuchadnezzar. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods, little g, or worship the gold statue I've set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship this statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, but if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then... I love this rhetorical question. And then, what God will be able to rescue you from my power? That's a great question. But keep that verse up there if you would. King Nebuchadnezzar asked a rhetorical question. And then, what God, lowercase g, will be able to rescue you from my power? I'm the one in charge. And I can take your life. What God? To be able to rescue. Let me, let me tell you what a rhetorical question is. A rhetorical question is, is a question you ask that you don't want an answer for. You, you ask it to be able to make a point. The most famous rhetorical question your parents ever did to you was, do you want a spanking? Right? The answer, why yes, father, I would like a spanketh. Right? I mean, you know, that, you don't want an answer to that question. Right? He's not asking for an answer here, but let me tell you what he gets in the next verse. Verse 16, he gets an answer. You know why he gets an answer? It's because he's not serving a little case G. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're not serving the small case G. What they're serving and who they're serving is the God of the universe. King Nebuchadnezzar, you may think you're in charge, but let me tell you who's really in charge. It is big G God. Look at this. Love this. All right? This is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. And King Neb is thinking, yes, you do. I'm going to kill you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is, what's that next word? Let's all say it together like we mean it. He is, he is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. That is truth of great power. God is able. God is able. But they don't stop there. These guys don't stop there. They don't just give a superficial statement of devotion because they've had an easy life. They're not giving glib, superficial Sunday school answers here. These guys aren't just, you know, regurgitating something that somebody has told them because they've not had any hard knocks. They've not had problems. These guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, has experienced real world and real pain. I mean, think about this. They would have prayed when King Neb was coming to Jerusalem. God, please don't let King Neb to come here. We don't, we don't want anything bad to happen to us. God, please protect us. And you know what? He didn't. 
God didn't answer that prayer. And King Neb comes. And then they would pray, God, please don't let us be taken and be held captive and taken back 500 miles to Babylon. And you know what? Their prayers wasn't answered. And they were taken. And they were held captive. And they were taken all the way. When they got there, they, I'm sure they prayed, God, please don't let us, don't put us in this three-year you know, trial period, this Babylon University. But they got put in there. Their prayers wasn't answered. They probably prayed, God, listen, these guys are trying to feed us stuff that we don't need to be eating. It's going to be against our religion. God, please don't force us to make a decision. But God didn't answer their prayer that way, and they were forced to, to make a decision. I'm sure at this point they had this thing, God, please, please, this whole 90-foot statue, don't let this happened, but God did let it happen. At every turn, every prayer that they prayed to God had not been answered. And now here, here they are saying, you know what? Our God is able. That is faith. And I got to be honest with you. I think all of us, we struggle because sometimes when our prayers don't get answered, then we start having, we start doubting. We say, okay, we start making deals with God, but that's not is what happened. At every point, these guys were bitterly disappointed. At every point, the nightmare grew closer to reality. They faced a worst-case scenario where they are getting ready to be killed. And they're saying, our God is able. By the way, the God whom you conquered, the God whom he's not answered any of our prayers, he is able. But look at this next statement in verse 18. This blows me away, guys. This statement right here is huge. Look at this. But even if... He doesn't. Our God is able to save. But even if he doesn't, even if we're burned alive, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your lowercase g gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Let me tell you, our God is able. That is truth. But what about when he doesn't? intervene what about when he doesn't come through what do you do then you see all of us we have this tendency that we want to make deals and serve god god if you if you just i'm asking you to do this and if you do this then i will serve you i will tell people about you i'll give i'll do whatever you want to do if you do this that's how a lot of us are tempted to pray but will you decide to have and to do even though you don't have that have not type of faith. Maybe you're in a relationship with a, a boy or a girl, maybe in a dating relationship, and they're trying to pressure you to cross some sexual boundaries. And you know God is saying, it's time to out of this relationship. It's time to get out of this relationship. You're, you're going to compromise. But in your mind, what if God doesn't give you another person? What if God doesn't give you another girl, another guy to date? Will you still... Will you do that even if he does not? Will you do what God has called you to do even if he does not give you another person? Another one. Yes, our God is, he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And you're, and you're struggling right now financially. God is saying, I want you to do this with your finances. I want you to give to me. But what, God, what if you don't give back to me? Will you still do it even though he may not come through? Some of you, maybe you're struggling health-wise. Maybe you, maybe you even have cancer. And you're like, you're, you know God is able to, to save and to heal. And that's what you pray. But will you have faith in God even if he chooses not 
to heal you. You see, all of us, we put God in this box and we think, if we do this, then he has to do this. But sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he doesn't. Let me give you just a quick, i got to wrap this up. A quick, just a newsflash. All of you in here will die, and so will I. There are going to be times where we pray, God, please let the cancer just go in remission. And sometimes it does. But there are some times that God allows us to go through things so that we can be able to experience him. Let me tell you, when things don't go our way, this is huge. We start getting self-absorbed, self-preoccupied, and we start getting self-pity. You know what all of those things have in common? Self. And self is the biggest idol we have a tendency to bow our knee to all the time. They must have prayed that the decree would not be enforced, but it was. They must have prayed that because of Daniel's influence with Nebuchadnezzar, maybe they would be exempt, but they weren't. They prayed and prayed and prayed, and God didn't come through. Not one of their prayers were answered. That's huge. And look at this. They say, we're not going to bow. God is able, we're not going to bow. But even if he doesn't save us, we're not going to bow. What does King Neb do? He turns up the heat, literally. Verse 19. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. How many of y'all's parents' faces ever got distorted with rage? Me too. Just saying. Um, He commanded that the furnace be heated how many times? Seven times hotter than usual. Imagine the sound of this roaring fire. This roaring fire. He ordered that some of the strongest men of his army bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. Now, put, again, try to put yourself in here. We are, don't keep on reading. That's cheating. You are getting ready to be thrown into a furnace that's heated really hot. And now they've bound you. You know, when you get close to a campfire that's too hot, what do you do with your hands? You kind of shield yourself, right? They can't even do that. I mean, how out of control they must have felt. For some of you control freaks, freaks right now, right now you're spazzing out. Because now you're getting thrown, hands bound, into a fire. So look at this, verse 21. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed with their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the fire. Imagine this moment. You have prayed that God would not allow you to be thrown in. But you got thrown in. You prayed that if you did get thrown in, that the fire would vanish. It would just go out. But the fire didn't go out. You've been praying, but God has been silent, and he hasn't answered your prayers. You are now in a blazing furnace. You are bound, and you cannot protect your face. You are in bondage. What's going to happen now? The very first word found in verse 24. Let's look at it. Look at this. What's that first word? But. I love that. You see, sometimes God comes through and sometimes let me say it this way there are sometimes God listens to our prayers and he puts out the flames and and our faith in God goes higher there are sometimes that we pray to God and he doesn't put out the flames and now we are literally in the arms of God we meet God because we're dead but here a third option happens (laughs) 
they list God has heard their prayers and God meets them in the fire. Look at this. But suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, uh, Jimmy, yeah? Jimmy, didn't we tie up three men and threw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did. They replied, look, I see how many? Four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed and the fourth looks like a god. I love that. In fact, the original language that this was written in, it literally means, this is what it literally says, the fourth looks like the son of God. I love that. Let me tell you what's happening here. I believe what's happening, that fourth person in the fire is literally Jesus Christ. That Jesus has shown up in the fire when they needed him the most, and, and this is so cool. That let me just camp out on this one. John 6, 46, Jesus says this, no one has seen the Father at any time. Now, we worship, as Christians, we worship one God, but there's three persons. We call this concept the Trinity. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Father is spirit, so we can't see him, and no, and no one has seen him. God the Holy Spirit is spirit, we can't see him. But there's one person, the middle person in the Trinity is Jesus Christ, and he has flesh and blood. And this is what's so amazing, is we think, okay, wait, Jesus was born, right? Well, I love this. Isaiah 9, 6 says it like this. That um, Isaiah says, um, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The child was born, the physical part, but the son has always been around. The Bible says that he's been around from the very beginning to the very end. Jesus has always been. So I, I think what's happening is, is this, and the, the churchy word for this is called a theophany. It just means God, Jesus Christ, shows up in the flesh, and that's what happens. What's so cool about this? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got to see Jesus, his human form, before his mother, Mary, got to see him. That's cool. That's really cool, that God will meet us in our trials and in our problems, in our biggest circumstances that we're struggling with. God wants to meet you there. And by the way, it says, this is, you know the only thing that burned up in there was the, bound, the, the ropes that bound the wrist. It says they were walking around. Let me, let me just say this. Some of you right now, you're in some fiery problems right now, and you're going, God, why, why, why? Maybe the reason why God has allowed you to go through the fire is because he wants you to be free from addictions. He wants to, you to be free from what's holding you down, what's holding you in bondage, so that when you come out, you are free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty I'm free at last. God wants to free you, but many times the only way you can be freed is if you go through the fire. I love that. All right? Now, verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High. What is that word? Big G, huh? isn't it? Come on now. Neb done learned his lesson. Yeah. Big G, God, come out, come here. Now, look at this. What are they, what are they known by? They're now known of worshiping the big G God. They, they've, they've stepped up. They've shown off God. Look at this. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, advisors crowded around them, and they saw that the fire had not even touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed, and their clothing did, was not scorched. They didn't even smell like smoke. Oh. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the big G God 
of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants and who trusted him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than to serve any other little g except their own big g. Now that's the theme of chapter 3. I love that. Look at this. They're willing to follow regardless. Verse 29. Therefore, I make this decree. This is coming from King Nebuchadnezzar. Thank you. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speaks a word against the big G God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb. Their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. This guy has some anger issues. Right? I mean, I guess that's one way of evangelizing and telling people about Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, I'm going to tear you up. All right? That's kind of crazy. I don't think that works. There is no other little G God who can rescue like this. <laughs> My boy, King Neb. The last verse, and we're done. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to an even higher position in the province of Babylon. Let me tell you, let me tell you, if you choose to do things God's way, if you don't compromise, if you don't do shortcuts, let me tell you, there are ways, you may get looked over first, but eventually that promotion will come. And if it doesn't, God will move you out of that system, put you in another job, because when you do things his way, he is in control of the circumstances. Christianity is the call for us to be set apart and to not blend in. And I know that's difficult for you. For some of you who've not been in church or you don't know anything about this whole Jesus Bible thing, you're like, eh, I know that's difficult because none of us wants to stand out. But you know this, God just doesn't, and that should be an encouragement, God doesn't want you to just be a cookie-cutter person. He wants you to keep your own personality, your own passions, your own gifts, but he just wants to be calling the shots in your life. What are some of the areas that God wants you to step up and to step out on? I want to give you two challenges as we close today. The first challenge is simply this. What friends do you have in your life right now who will help you to stand? All of us got friends, but that's not what I'm asking. I'm asking, do you have some friends in your life who will help you to stand for what God wants you to stand for? All of us have the friends who kind of drag us down. But do we have a friend that will stick closer than a brother who will help us act, become more like Jesus? And if you don't, let us at One Church be able to help you fill that need by getting into communion with somebody. If, you don't, if that's not your thing, finding ladies, men that you can connect with who can build you up, that's huge. Second thing I want to challenge you is this. What bond, what bondage is God trying to burn away from you that's keeping you just in chains? You know, when they went through the fire, they're free. What are some things in your life that God is wanting to burn out? Addictions, problems, attitudes? Come on now, all of us got attitude. What is that stuff that God wants us to burn out of our life so that we can become more like Jesus? Live differently. Step up. Don't blend in. That's the theme of this chapter. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much, Lord, that we can be able to, to read of you the power of, of what you did here in this chapter, God. I thank you so much, Jesus Christ, that, that Lord, I pray that us as, as Christians in here, Lord, that we would have that type of faith that, Lord, we know that you're able, but even if you choose not to, we're going to still trust in you. This isn't about backing you into a corner and forcing your hand. 
that if you do this, we will do this, God. Lord, I challenge us. Lord, you've challenged me to, Lord, not put you in boxes, but allow you to be the God of the universe. There is no box that can contain you. And even though you don't do things the way I would want them done, I'm not the main character of this story. You are. So, Lord, I pray that all of us in here would step up and shine out for you, Jesus. For it's in your name that we pray. Amen.